Testing. Testing. Are we recording? Okay, I think we are. Let's talk about some things that matter. Let's take some time to drift and hum. Welcome to another episode of the Drift and Hum podcast. I'm Robert Martichenko, author of Drift and Hum, the great Canadian-American novel. I'm really looking forward to spending time with you today on today's podcast as I have small and humble goals. I would like to talk about what it means to change the world and what it means to make the world a better place. In doing so, maybe we can build and create a new narrative so we can start to have conversations a little differently as we go forward. So grab a cold drink if the sun is shining where you are, or grab a nice hot drink if winter is upon you. And let's take some time to drift and hum. Something I've been doing lately, and by admitting this, I'm fully aware that I'm probably in need of a new hobby, but nonetheless, something I've been doing lately is questioning sayings or metaphors that we hear and questioning them from the perspective of, do they really make sense? For example, some people like to say that life is like a roller coaster ride. But you know what? I'm not sure that I agree. I believe that life is more like a kite ride. A roller coaster ride is a fixed structure, man-made, where all variables have been taken into consideration. The track is set and when you get on, you expect to get off safely, precisely because it has been engineered to have a fair and happy ending. On a roller coaster, you can see and forecast the ups and downs and you prepare yourself for what will happen next based on this visibility of the entire ride. You don't fear the up as it's just what you need to do to get to the down and the down is when you shriek with excitement and get the thrill of the ride. And then when the ride is over, You run around to the back of the line to go again, to ride a second time with the expectation that the next round will be identical to the last. Fun, yes, but safe. This is not what life is like at all, at least not based on my experiences. Life is like a kite ride. Life is like a kite ride where we are the kite and the one flying the kite all at the same time. There is nothing predictable or stable about kite flying. If the conditions are not correct, you don't even get a chance to fly. And when the kite is in the sky, you never know what will happen next. Environment and circumstance have a vote in the outcome. As one minute you are riding the wind up, and the next minute you are crashing toward the ground at full speed. The stronger the wind against you, the faster and higher you go. You feel totally free, but you are not completely free, as the flight depends on how much line you dare to let out, and the fact that you are connected to the ground. Physics demanding that you stay connected to the earth in order to fly. You experience the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and often it appears there's nothing in the middle. When the wind is strongest, there is no time to take a breath, no time to rest, because you don't know what is coming next. And when we are headed to a low, when we are tightening the rope between the ground and the kite, when we feel as if all is lost, Right at that last minute, a small gust of benevolent turbulence comes to the rescue, and the next thing we know, we are on our way up faster than ever before. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Let's go. What a rush. It's pure and utter chaos. There is no track. 
no directional assurance, and no promise of a fair, happy, or safe ending. The ups and downs are equally powerful, but in such different ways, and we don't know how long each up or down will last. So, we attempt to prepare for a change in momentum at any time, then realize it's so unpredictable that we can't prepare at all, and we decide just to let it all happen. We go with the flow, and for a brief period, we feel a sense of calm, a sense of control, a sense of freedom. Then the winds start up again. Sometimes the kite just hovers in one place as if it's waiting for an external cue or trying to decide where to go next. Every movement or non-movement of the kite is a learning experience, and every time it takes on a crusade or maneuver that we don't expect, we marvel and worry all at the same time. We feel alive with excitement and then absolutely terrified in an instant of change. And if the kite does come crashing to the ground, we just stare at it in silence from a distance. We reflect. We learn. We take wonder in all things. We think deeply about our life. Where have we been? Where are we now? Where are we going? Then we run up to the kite. We look down to see if it's okay. We pick it up. Did it survive the crash? Will it fly again? Should I fly it again even if it is able? And was that crash simply too much? What can I learn from this experience so I can fly better next time? What if I crash again? What should I do? What a ride. Yes, life is no roller coaster. Life is a kite ride. They've come all the way from Canada at the other side of the world. I flew halfway around the world I flew halfway around Halfway lost, halfway found Sang the song without making a sound Halfway up to come, halfway back down well, I swam halfway around the world Trying my best not to change Now isn't that strange How despite everything I've been shown How a person will cling to what's known Halfway around Going up and coming half I find that as I get older, I start to realize there's certain things in my life that probably aren't ever going to happen, as sad as it is. For example, I'll probably never be an NHL goaltender, and I'll probably never be a famous singer-songwriter, even though it only takes three chords in the truth. I'm working on the truth, but I struggle with the rhythm of the three chords, unfortunately. Another thing I'm probably never going to master is the art of meditating. I've tried, and... For whatever reason, I just can't seem to do it. But there's some good news. I learned recently that writing has the same impact to a person as meditating. That is, from the point of view of heart rate and breathing and respiratory system. In other words, when a writer is in the zone, they in fact get the same benefits as somebody who's meditating. This is good news for me. 
because it means that I can start my mornings off as a person does when they're meditating. So I wrote a little morning mantra. I thought I would share it with you. Here it is. Today I wake up with unlimited possibilities. Today I continue down my path. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow will never come. Only today exists for me to seize and marvel at the wonders of the world. Today is a gift from God, from the universe, from the Great Spirit, which is more powerful than any person. Today I will treasure this gift. Today I will live my life with simplicity, cognizant that my life has no guarantees. I am body, I am mind, and I am soul. I will respect and nourish these three temples. I will be acutely aware of my thoughts, knowing that my thoughts turn into words and my words turn into actions. I will embrace the diversity of people and range of cultures as the amazing great mysteries of our world. And I want all of my actions to be kind, to be positive, to be helpful to others in admiration of these mysteries, knowing that if I am caring and generous, these actions will be reciprocated. I will seek out quiet today to pause, contemplate, and practice my art. And even though the hours will move fast and in many directions, I will remember that I am only walking on a single path, and I will find peace and silence while walking, because I am aware that it is impossible to learn within a tunnel of noise. Today, I will benefit from mistakes and lessons already learned along my path. I know that not all people see the world as I do. I know that another person's gain is not my loss. I know that I am not superior to any other person. I know that I am only in control of my own reaction to external events. I know that I have everything I need to be happy beyond any definition of happiness. I know that I am loved by many, and that I in turn love many. I know that today I should be humble as I have so much to be thankful for. I know that my whole life has been lived to produce today. I know that today can be the best day of my life. I will remember that money and material items do not define success or significance. I will resist being anchored in my views and will be open to new ideas. I will look for and embrace new facts to help me change my mind where I am stuck. I will speak up for right and wrong when hate, anger, and bigotry are evident. I will be optimistic and curious while grounded in my known realities. I will challenge myself to improve while being content with what I have accomplished. I will recognize that the future is not dictated by the past and that all dreams can come true through hard work, enthusiasm, and the good luck that will result. I will seek out nature as the world's greatest healer and take time to drift and hum. I will love my friends and family, and I will allow them to love me. And in doing so, when today fades, and transforms into memories and lessons, I will rest well knowing that I made today the best day of my life. Going up and coming high. Way around, 
going up and coming half way around. I stumbled halfway around the world. It was nothing at all, just a trip and a fall. But the landing felt good, just the same. Another chance to remember my name. So let's get to the heart of today's topic, the small little topic of changing the world and how to make the world a better place. I spent some quality time with my oldest daughter over the holiday break. She's home from school and we decided to head out for some hiking with our two yellow labs. So we loaded up the truck and the dogs and drove four hours to Brevard, North Carolina. Brevard, land of the Pisgah Forest, the DuPont State Park, and most importantly, waterfall after waterfall. In two days of hiking, we saw six beautiful winter waterfalls and some spectacular views from Looking Glass Rock. If you have never been to the Brevard area, take some time, friends. Take some time and go. Black Balsam Bulb and Shining Rock are spectacular, not to mention you can take a walk into the history books and climb Cold Mountain. And so Emily and I and our two dogs, George and Indy, got some good miles in, put challenging steps behind us as we spent some time with the sounds and sights of wintry and icy waterfalls. We took some time to drift and hum. This was and is the good stuff. At one point in our hike, Emily and Indy yelled from the rear, So, Dad, what are you doing up there? This made Georgia and I stop and pause for a couple of reasons. The first was I realized I was walking 10 feet in front of Emily. I was in my own little world, with my daughter, but not truly with her. I was once again ruminating in my thoughts, hiking at my own pace, forging ahead to the destination while missing the journey. A classic case of mindful as opposed to mindful. I was reminded of the comments I get from my family when we travel together. As we flow through Atlanta Airport to make a connection, my family just tell me they will meet me at the gate at the next gate as I walk 20 feet ahead of them, clearly on some mission to get to the next gate before every, anybody else. And every time, I stop and let them catch up, and then I explain that normally I am on my own, traveling for work, and therefore I am hardwired to go fast. They will then tell me that this trip is not work and that I can slow down. I smile and say, you're right. And then I attempt to walk with them, which lasts about three minutes, and eventually I am 30 feet ahead. Becoming mindful is not easy. How do you change habits that have had 25 years to be firmly planted in the subsystems of your mind and your physical being? Slowing down is not easy. But I'm committed in my view that it is necessary. I guess it just takes practice. Anyway, back on the trail. I thought about Emily's question. So, Dad, what are you doing up there? What she was really asking was, what are you thinking about, Dad? So I slowed down and we started what would turn into a very rewarding conversation. I told Emily that I was thinking about a conversation I had watched on the news channel that morning prior to hitting the Blue Ridge. The young person being interviewed was in tech and was inventing an app. Apparently, the app was going to change the world. The interviewer asked, what does that mean, to change the world? The young person said, you know, 
change the world, change how we communicate, change how we get around, change how we make decisions, change how we interact with each other, and ultimately change how we think. Wow, the interviewer said, that's ambitious. Oh yeah, the young person replied. We have millions raised to fund it. We are going to be the next big thing. We are going to change the world. Then the interviewer asked a very interesting question. She asked the young person, I understand you are going to change the world, but in doing so, are you going to make the world a better place? There was a pause and the young person replied, What's the difference? That was all I heard, as at that point, the mountains were calling and I needed to go, and so I turned off the television and Emily and I and the dogs headed out for the trails and the waterfalls. Now, fast forward back to the trail, when Emily shook me out of my reverie and we hiked and talked about what it means to change the world, and most importantly, what it means to make the world a better place. Now, I'll stop here for a minute, and in the spirit of complete transparency, and at the risk of you not listening any further, I will readily admit we struggled to come up with any definitive or absolute answer. But I do think we made progress, and I suspect any progress is good progress when we are talking about making the world a better place. If you do high-level research on what it means to change the world, it's surprising how little help there is with the question. There are lots of lists, top 10, top 25 lists of things you can do to change the world, but I cannot find one definition that describes what it means to change the world. This does not surprise me, as Emily and I struggled with defining it as well. And so, as we trekked up our trail, our hearts working hard in multiple ways, we made a list of easy stuff that probably has in fact changed the world. We focused mostly on inventions because we figured we would end up in a dark hole if we listed people who may or may not have changed the world with their actions. Our small list of big inventions that changed the world, in no particular chronology, is as follows. The compass, gunpowder, steel, the printing press, the wheel and resulting boats, planes, trains, and automobiles, penicillin and antibiotics, electricity and the light bulb, computers, the internet, and of course, telephones, and the resulting cell phone, the camera, and good old social media platforms. I know we missed a bunch of important things, but the fully completed list is probably infinite, and we were searching for waterfalls at the time of the conversation. Please feel free to add to the list on things that you know that we missed. And so, with this mental list intact, we then asked the most important question of the day. Sure, these inventions may have changed the world, but did they make the world a better place? Once again, and as you can imagine, we really struggled with a definitive answer. Let's face it, absolutes are never absolute because virtually every event in life suffers from the power of dualities, the yin and the yang, that concept that without dark there is no light, that without off there is no on, that without hate there is no love. While I personally struggle with the principle of dualities in the world, as I do believe you can have love without hate, I do comprehend the principle that virtually every pivot point in our history came with unintended consequences. Is this not what dualities actually are? That when we do something positive, there's always seems to be some unintended negative consequence to balance out the good? For example, have the cell phone and social media made the world a better place? 
I suspect the answer will depend on whether you are talking to a YouTube star or as opposed to a young person who may have been cyberbullied. So, the question that I'm not sure we'll ever have an answer is, considering the dualities of this world and a long list of unintended consequences with so many decisions we make, how do we ever know if our actions are making the world a better place? If you do a little research on how to make the world a better place as opposed to changing the world, two themes do jump out right away. These two themes clearly focus on the planet and humanity. That is, you are making the world a better place if you are making a positive contribution to the health of the planet or the health of humanity. Which could be argued that really we are left with making contributions to humanity, because one day the planet will be just fine without humans, so therefore any contribution we make to helping the planet is really about making the planet a better place for human existence, and therefore takes us back to making the world a better place for humanity. In this case, humanity simply means the human race. All of us collectively. Yep, the whole bunch of us, regardless of race, religion, or nationality. A motley crew, to be sure. So we are back to our question. What does it mean to make the world a better place for humanity? Not to mention there does not seem to be clear and obvious connections between humanity and the list of inventions we came up with as world game changers. In other words, I'm not sure the inventors of many of the big inventions had humanity on their minds while making their original designs. Back to the hike with Emily. Emily educated me a little bit on some of her reading and conversations she is having at school. In particular, we talked about the philanthropic foundations that are doing amazing work to in fact attempt to make the world a better place. These sincere and benevolent foundations are guided by the belief that every life has equal value, that those that have should help those that have not, that we need to help all people lead healthy and more productive lives. For example, in developing countries as well as in the United States, many foundations focus on improving people's health and giving them the chance to lift themselves out of hunger and extreme poverty in addition to ensuring access to the opportunities they need to succeed in school and life. What's puzzling about this is the fact that our foundations are doing this work when it would be very easy to wonder why our governments are not driving these priorities. What's even more puzzling, and very really sad, is that there is a lot of evidence that we are not trying to stop war, hate, and bigotry. It seems as if our work to make the world a better place simply resigns itself in working around the fact that humanity will never fix the one true problem. The problem of hate, corruption, and resulting violence against people that have no way of defending themselves. As we dig deeper, relative to many foundations, we learn that no matter what they are trying to do, or where they are trying to do it, there is a foundational theme with many foundations. The theme of education. And so, this led to one small conclusion, that changing the world and making the world a better place is rooted in activities that surround education. With this, Emily and I thought we were making progress, and in our optimism driven by being in nature, we thought we may come up with a single definition of what it means to make the world a better place. Then we ran into our next challenge, a challenge defined in a set of questions. Who do we educate? Where do we educate? When do we educate, and what do we educate on? And how would we ever get universal alignment on answers to these questions? In other words, 
considering most of us don't have an organized foundation to help with our quest to make the world a better place, we need to define some scope we can actually get our arms around. This led to a conversation around perspectives and timing, that is, macro versus micro perspectives, and long-term versus short-term thinking. Most philanthropic foundations clearly have a macro perspective, and they are working for short-term results while also trying to embed long-term solutions. That is, they are trying to make the world a better place, and when they say world, they really mean the whole world. But can we all take such a worldview? Which brings me back to my research on how a single individual can make the world a better place. Interestingly, the themes you see are not just about solving world hunger or eradicating disease or cleaning up the environment, but rather the themes are about being kind, showing respect, having grace and empathy, volunteering, embracing diversity, and most importantly, teaching and influencing others to do these things. And when it comes to a macro versus micro view, the perspective is decidedly micro. That is, we make the world a better place by being kind and empathetic and showing respect and teaching these characteristics in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our immediate communities. So, maybe Emily and I are getting close to an answer? Unfortunately for Emily and I, we came to the end of our hiking trip before we could complete our work. I was disappointed too, because the end of the hike came just as I was going to ask Emily a few questions. The first was, what does it mean to be kind and empathetic? The second, what does it mean to be respectful and show grace? And the last question, and for me, the most important one of all, is Emily... Have I taught you the importance of these character traits, and will you live them and teach them going forward? In other words, in some small way, have I made the world a better place, and in doing so, have I taught her to do the same? As you can imagine, I look forward to my next hike with her. I look forward to taking some time with her to drift and hum. Halfway round the sea, the sky, the ground, the walks will set you free. Now I'm halfway around the world It's not always a test I just needed a rest A little courage to help find my way A wing of prayer and a borrowed cliche And what I'm trying to say in an unspoken way Halfway old, halfway young Another song just begun And with the sky upside down The stars floating around I'll take the true with the false And do the overseas waltz You'll all be so kind That is if no one would mind well, Let's go half the way round Until the world's upside down Well friends, this brings us to the end of our podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed putting it together. As always, I thank you for your time. As well, I would like to thank my good friend Gary Raspberry for the incredible music in the podcast today. Gary is an educator, an artist, a musician, and an educating artist in Kingston, Ontario. 
You can learn more about him at www.garyraspberry.com. As always, friends, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with others. And most importantly, I wish you well and make sure you take some time to drift and hum. carry with him the swag man? Um, he carries a swag which is a stick with a cloth on the end of it.